Praise the Lord for that. So uh, thank you, Pastor Hamp and the team for leading us in that. Some great, great songs. Love to sing scripture. What a beautiful truth that is. If you ever want something just to uplift you, just go to the Psalms and just begin to make your own tune to them if you have to, and they will uplift you for sure. So uh, that's just awesome. Uh, Thank you, Thea, for that missions update. Really appreciate that very much. I was still in the early service, and some of you may remember this a long time ago. Just a little footnote on the whole homeless ministry thing. A lot of times we judge incorrectly. Uh, there are times where uh, there are people who find themselves in very difficult situations and, and have no choice. I remember one lady in particular some years ago who was with us as we were hosting the women here who lived up north somewhere. I don't remember what state she was in, but I remember her telling me that she was in an accident, not, not an accident in a car herself, but a car hit her while she was walking on the street and broke her leg really badly. And as a result of all the times in in surgery and medical bills, she ended up losing her home and uh, was homeless. And so that's why she was in the middle of the system there. And so just very tragic for a lot of people. And I'm blessed personally just to be a part of a church who supports a ministry like this and uh, just a very tangible way to express Christ's love. So I want to encourage you, if you can help Thea with this uh, and the other ladies and men who are working with this, uh, make sure you contact her at the end of the service here. And do what you can. Okay, we support Pacham as a regular monthly giving of our missions giving from the church, uh, corporately, collectively. Uh, but this is a great way to do this uh, personally and, and really put some hands to the plow, so to speak. One other announcement for us here: If you didn't get the email, parents, let us know. If you have a youth uh, in your home, uh, someone I think sixth or seventh grade and up, uh, my wife would have to clarify this. If you didn't get an email this last week from her. Uh, We're going to be doing, my wife and I are going to be doing a little youth host on Sunday nights beginning next week for about eight weeks and just gathering them for a time of uh, fellowship and fun. And and you got to have pizza, right? And so uh, we'll be doing that. And so uh, we don't want anybody left out who fits the age group. So make sure that you let us know about that uh, if you didn't get that information. We'd love to have you. All right. Well, let's pray and we'll look into the word of the Lord today. Father, we thank you for the joy of gathering. We thank you for the privilege of of living freely where we can do this. We never want to take that for granted. never want to take anything that you do for us for granted. We thank you for your constant and never-ending love for us. And as we just sang these wonderful words to these songs, we're we're reminded of, of your great grace to us as we were so deep in the pit of sin and and so anti-God in so many ways, just as being born in our sinful nature. Whether it was purposeful in our minds or not, we're told by your word that that's the way it was. And, and we see that now and are just so thankful that you rescued us. Thank you for coming to pay the debt of our sin and to substitute yourself so that we might have eternal life with you. And so, Lord, we're very humbled by the truth of what you've done. We see we have no... Uh, reason to rejoice in anything that we've done, but it's all because of us who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. All right, you may be seated. 
Now again, last week as we began this, I gave to you a little bit of a, a basic outline, as I call it, um, and we covered mostly the first two points, and I particularly want to deal with the latter two points this morning. First two were making sure that we understand the sounding of the alarm that the Lord is giving to us in verse 15, and then clarifying the appearances or the appearance of false teachers. I'm going to do a little bit more of that this morning, very specifically, uh, which will give us a lot of hands-on kind of thinking for ourselves as we live in this life, and, and especially in the culture that we're in today. Uh, there is much, beloved, listen carefully, there is much deception out there. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew it would be the case. And so we're cautioned to watch out and to listen very, very carefully. And so I'm going to give to us a three-part test that's going to help us expose false teachers, which are going to look at the disposition of the teacher. I'll explain all that in just a few minutes. The doctrine of the teacher and then the disciples or the followers of these people. And then finally, I want to give you some things to consider when actually calling out false teachers, which is, yes, we're called to do that. Uh, lovingly, graciously, but that is the case, okay? All right, now, for those of you that weren't here and even for those who need to just get your minds back around this from last week, you'll remember that God has given to us many, many warnings in Scripture about false teachers. Uh, this was certainly the case with Israel in the days uh, prior to the Lord coming here personally on the earth. Uh, and the reality is that false teachers have been a problem since uh, sin entered the picture uh, way back thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, even to our current day. And Jesus said there will even be more that will come. And because it's been such a problem, the Lord, as I've been saying, is giving to us in this passage and in other passages ways that we can identify who these false leaders, false teachers are. And we said last time that the true prophet... Two ways we identified the true prophet was that they are called by God. Number one, very clear in Scripture. I'm not going to go through those. If you'd like to look back in this, you can see that. And by the way, all of our sermons are put online and they're archived there. So you can go to our website and view those. Uh, they're also on YouTube and even on Facebook. So secondly, not only were they called by God, but they always spoke God's message. It was not their message, but it was God's message. And conversely, then, a false prophet has neither of these. We saw last time that God has not called a false prophet. They're phonies. Jeremiah made that clear in numerous passages. And uh, they are people who speak their own message. In fact, the message that their listeners really want to hear. And God said through Jeremiah in those days that they were people who had a message, but it was not from him. And so a false prophet then has all the appearances of a true teacher. And this is what makes them so deceptive. So hard to recognize, but the reality is there are people who are literally leading people to hell. And I know that's a strong statement, but that's reality because the Lord has told us that there is only a narrow road that leads to the kingdom, but the road that leads to destruction is wide. There are only two paths, and we covered that a couple weeks ago in that part of the sermon. And so these people, the Lord says, are leading those people who are uninformed and careless about their spiritual lives, not paying attention, or who are being deceived and leading them literally to hell. And the wording there, as you saw in verse 15, was like ravenous wolves, like ravenous wolves, all the while looking pretty on the outside. We said that they are swindlers. You remember the definition of that word is just people simply who have a purpose to deceive, and they, they want something. This is what a swindler does. 
They're looking for something from you. If you are like me, your phone often rings with a number that looks like it's familiar territory, right? You getting those calls? Get them all the time. And so you look at that and you say, oh gosh, this has got to be somebody from the church. I better answer this. One guy calls me all the time and I pick up my phone and he goes, hello? I'm like, hello? And then the recording starts and it's some insurance sales or something like that. Anyway, so there are swindlers out there. I don't, I don't begrudge somebody trying to make money. I'm not talking about that. I'm just trying to say there is a deceptive practice often in the way a swindler at least will work. Okay? And that's the point of the Lord's meaning here. Basically to get some kind of control or power or some possessions, and usually money is involved in some way. And they're very, very clever just like their father, the devil. You know that Jesus has said that the devil works as an angel of light. And this is how deceptive he can be. You know, often people have had the wrong picture of who Satan is. He's not the little guy in the red suit with the pitchfork and the horns. No, he will look and act and sound just like an angel of light. Very deceptive. I was telling someone just the other day, don't ever think for a moment that you're smarter than Satan. You are not. I'm not. No one who is human is smarter than Satan. He is a master manipulator. You will never figure him out. You'll never stay a couple steps ahead of him. You'll never outwit him. He is far too smart for you. He is a deceiver and a swindler, and he operates as an angel of light. And so we must be careful. And that's what the Lord is telling us here. Okay. So now, that's our review. So let's look at these deceivers and how they can be recognized. Notice now in verse 16 and in verse 20. I'm not going to read all of this, but I do want you to pay attention to these phrases here. Verse 16, Jesus says very clearly, you will know them by their what? By their fruits. Look at verse 20. You will know them by their what? By their fruits. Okay. The Lord is saying to us, listen, I'm not giving to you some information that you cannot discern you will be able to identify these people, which is by their fruit. Or in other words, we know fruit is a product. A tree produces it. So the Lord is saying these people produce something. They produce the wrong kind of fruit, which can be determined by the test that we're going to look at right now. First, their disposition, the fruit of their disposition. What am I talking about? I'm talking about character, their character. You've been alive long enough to know, and I'm not necessarily speaking to the children here, but parents and everybody else, you, you've been alive long enough to know that you cannot hide character, at least not for long. It's going to come out, both good character and bad character. One of my seminary professors and some of our folks here will remember this well, that I've often brought this up because I think it's just a, a great truism, which is what's in the well comes up in the bucket, Right? Now, if you can picture that in your mind, if there's bad water in the well, you can't separate it out of the bucket. It's going to come up in the bucket. If there's only good water in the well, it's going to come up in the bucket. It's the same thing with our character. What is in the heart will come up. And I'll read a verse about that in just a few minutes. What The Lord is making this very clear. What is in there that is evil and what is in there that is good will come out, whether somebody's watching or whether they're not watching. This is the true test of the character of people. In other words, people who love the Lord will show it in their character. You cannot hide true love without it being exposed in the character. And that's going to show up in how we make decisions, what we value, how we respond to things in difficult times and in good times. It's going to come out. But similarly, so will bad character. People who have 
no love for the Lord won't be able to hide their true colors forever. It will be exposed. In fact, Solomon understood this very, very well. If you remember with me, some of you who have been students of the Scripture for any length of time will remember the very interesting story back in 1 Kings chapter 3. And I'll just give the gist of it here first. In, the, in verses 16 through 23, Solomon is brought to him uh, a couple women who were told were harlots. Each of them lived in the same house. They both had children. One of the babies died by the mother rolling over on the child in the night. The other mother, the mother who lost the child, got up, took the baby, swapped the babies, and took the living child for herself and gave the dead one to the other mother. Well, when the, dead, when the other mother woke up and found her baby dead, she looked and knew it wasn't her baby. And so they were brought to Solomon. And so in verse 24 we read, The king said, Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. And then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, O my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And the king said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. I bring that illustration up just to simply show you there's an example biblically of how character is going to come up. The mom who was the true mom of the real living baby said, oh, please don't kill my baby. Let the other woman have it. I'd rather the baby live than for it to die knowing I'm the true mother. And Solomon said, okay, I'm judging your character right here. I can tell who's real and who's not real. It's going to come up. Now, Peter also brought up in his letter of 2 Peter some clarity on the right kind of fruit. And the Bible has much to say about fruit. I'm not going to look at all these verses, but there is a right kind of fruit. In fact, beginning in chapter 1, verse 5, Peter would say this. And you remember now, these, these people in context have been the dispersed ones. They're under great persecution. And so a lot of anxiety is living in their hearts. And they're wondering what God is doing with them. And so Peter says this, applying all diligence, in other words, make haste, do this swiftly. In your faith, supply moral excellence. Listen now how he defines character. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor, here's the word, unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Peter saying? He's saying, look, if you examine your heart and you're seeing these character traits growing in you, then you can take some assurance. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you truly belong to Him. These are physical and internal manifestations of the Spirit living in you. Let's look at verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will abundantly be supplied to you. Now, what the Lord is really talking about there is entrance into the kingdom is one way. That is through Christ. He paid the debt of our sin. He hung himself on the cross. I mean, the Romans put him there, but he, 
He willingly went to the cross. He died. He was resurrected again, giving us access to the Father. Okay, that's where our salvation is. But then because of what he's done for us, we live for him. And the way we live for him is in our character in a great way. And so really we could say if there's no growth in our moral character and there's no desire to know God more and to be under self-control and genuinely wanting to live a life of love in the name of God and expressing that, then God is telling us then there is no godly fruit and there's nothing to make certain that a person is genuine. In fact, we could say that person is fake. But conversely, if that person wants to live for Christ and make him or herself known, they will show it by godly fruit. John 7 verse 18, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one, talking about Christ, who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. Luke 6.45, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Okay? And there's just a couple verses there. And there are many others that could help us to see what's in the well comes up in the bucket. True godly character will come out in the normal course of life. Why? Because that's what a good man, according to the Lord, does. Now, good is relative in the terms of the world. We're talking about in the spiritual judging. God looks at the heart and he says a good man or woman will live out the character of their life. Now, again, this was a real problem when it came to false teachers and people were having trouble discerning whether a person was genuine or not. There's several early Christian writings and there's one very famous one that had actually a section in it about discerning false prophets. It's very helpful, really, if you were living in those days. Let me just read this section for you. And there are like four of them in this. One was that a true prophet would not remain as a house guest for more than two days because he would need to be up about his work. A false prophet, however, would be willingly, willing to stay indefinitely since he had no real mission to accomplish except serving his own interest. It's an interesting test, isn't it? So if your neighbor comes and wants to stay for any length of time and they don't have anything, you know, I'm teasing about that. Okay. But this is how people lived. There were no hotels, and so they had places that they needed to stay, and so people would welcome them into their home, but professing to be a teacher, and this is one of the ways to tell. The second test was in regard to asking for money. Aha, and everybody's going, yep, see, there's the preacher, always asking for the money. The true prophet would ask for bread and water, but nothing more. That is, only for necessities to keep himself going. A false prophet, on the other hand, is not the least adverse to asking for or even demanding money. So there's the money test. A third test was in the area of lifestyle. A person who does not lead a life that corresponds to the standards he teaches is clearly not a man of God. Still another test was in regard to willingness to work. If a person wanted to live off of others and would not work for his own keep, he was a Christ trafficker. Okay? So... I'm just, again, giving you an illustration of something from years ago that was reality so people would have a way of understanding and discerning. Now, we could apply some of this to ourselves, and if you just ask yourself some questions, and let me just say it this way, uh, there are many of you who perhaps grew up in homes that were not the greatest. Maybe your father or maybe your mother professed to be one person to the community or to people that they knew. 
But inwardly, you knew living in that home, that wasn't the real person. You know what I'm talking about? And a lot of people have had those kind of situations. In fact, just recently, I had two conversations with two different people. And one of them was talking about a particular pastor. And they said to me, oh, what you see now is really not the full person. There are actually two people there that you're talking about. And I thought, hmm, how tragic that would be. How tragic it would be to have somebody say something like that about a pastor. On the other hand, my second conversation was with a person who was talking about their spouse, and they said, what, the, what you see on the outside is exactly the person they are in the home. And what a blessing that is, right? So character does indeed show up, and many of you can testify to the same kind of thing. And all of this is exactly why God gives to us specific qualifications even for church leaders. If a person aspires to be a leader, then God has said, here's what you're to look for. He told Paul through Tim- to Timothy to examine the heart of people and examine the, ex- the actions. 1 Timothy chapter 3, when selecting elders, he says an overseer, and that word is elder, pastor, bishop, it's all basically the same thing, a little bit different function, must be above reproach. What's he talking about? He's talking about character. The idea of above reproach means that there's no handle on their life that you can hold on to that you just can't let go of, something negative, something that you just say, ah, there's something about this character of this person that I just cannot let go of. And so God says, here's a test for a true leader. There's nothing that they have that you can hold on to. And then he goes on through many other things. Titus would bring up the same, or Paul would write the same thing to to Titus in verse 7. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. How about that? Does that sound familiar? Holding fast with faithfulness the word that is being taught. In other words, he teaches and believes what the word says, and he sticks to it. And so each of these, I believe, deal directly or somehow indirectly with the character of the person. And so one of the first tests then for you is to examine the character of the individual. Look at the character. Is what they say coming out by how they live and vice versa? Does it match? Okay, so now let's look at the second test. You can tell a false teacher by the fruit of their doctrine, by the fruit of their doctrine. Now, those of you who've been students of Scripture know that doctrine is simply a word. It's a generic word, but it's typically used in a biblical sense, a word that means teaching. What do they teach? What do they believe? And so that's how the Bible uses it. It refers to what a person specifically believes spiritually or, in fact, what the church believes and what the church teaches, okay? So when we're teaching you something, we're teaching doctrine. We're teaching life principles, life skills, life actions spiritually because this is what God gave to us to teach. And so we base our belief system, our doctrine, on what God has said. Now, one of the ways you can tell a true teacher is by, the, by what they teach, as I was just saying. But I want you to listen carefully now as we get into the meat of some of this and understand, so you understand clearly what I'm saying. You can also tell a false teacher not so much by what they say, but by what they don't say. Okay? 
And listen to me carefully as I go through some of this. By what they don't say. Now, in other words, false teachers won't necessarily deny the substitutionary work of Christ. In other words, they won't deny everything I said in the beginning that Christ came to give his life as a ransom from our, for, for us. They won't necessarily deny that. They won't necessarily deny the fact that we are all sinners. They won't necessarily deny the need to repent or the deny the, 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 the need to live life in humility or submission to God. They won't deny those things, but they don't ever preach on them. They don't talk about them. They don't bring it up, which become the cardinal doctrines of the church, the truth of God's word. As I said to you last week and even this morning, there are times where preachers don't want to have to preach certain things because it's tough to preach. We all want friends. I have a friend of mine who said to me the other day on a Zoom meeting, he said, Bruce, basically my personality is this. I just really want you to like me. And we laughed and I thought, well, that's humanity, right? We all want to be liked. But there is a life or death consequence to what we do in this life and how we operate in this life. And that is determined by who we are in Christ. And to know who we are in Christ must come from Christ himself, which is his word. Okay? So now, you'll never find a false teacher condemn sin or necessarily condemn sin. They just ignore it. Or if they do... They marginalize it or water it down, I guess we could say it that way. Or they just don't even teach the whole truth of Scripture. I've told you this before. I had a friend of ours, I was a deacon here, as we were going through the book of Romans. He came up to me after a particular uh, section that I was teaching on. And he just wanted to thank me for teaching that. I said, what do you mean? It's just the next one in the list. As we go verse by verse each week, he says, no, you don't understand. He says, I was a part of a church where our pastor skipped over that and said to us, I'm not going to teach that because I don't agree with that. Okay, now, to the unsuspecting ear, it's like, oh, okay, well, then it must not be that important. But you see how it can be so deceiving and it sounds so innocent. But we have to be very careful about these kind of things. So they'll either leave out things or slant it for their own gain. Remember, God refers to them as swindlers or ravenous wolves. Or basically, they'll teach something out of context and it won't really be what God is saying. And the bottom line reason is, is that they don't want to lose people. They don't want to lose their followers. And they know if they offend people, then they'll have a tendency to push people away. And the people won't give to them what they really want, which is to make sure that we're all on the wide road, right? If we're all on the wide road, then everything goes. And I certainly don't want to offend you because I need something from you which typically is power, money, control, or like I said, possessions in some kind of way. They don't want to appear exclusive to anybody because they'll lose those things. And this is exactly what the Lord meant when he says in verse 18, back to Matthew 7, you can't have the things you want if you're running people away. Notice the Lord says here though, but a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. In other words, it's impossible nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. And everybody knowing in those days that the, the gardens were the only way people could survive, they, they would understand that. And so in a spiritual sense, the teaching Jesus was giving was the true teacher will teach doctrine that aligns with what God says. It will match. 
because they're true teachers. But conversely, a false teacher won't do that. Why? Because they're false teachers. They weren't called of God. They don't have a message from God. They have their own message. But they're greatly deceiving. In fact, listen to what Jesus says to the false teachers in Matthew 12. I would encourage you to start your letters and your emails out this way. You brood of vipers. That'd be an exciting way to start your letter, wouldn't it? Hey, good morning, you brood of vipers. How can you, Jesus says, being evil, speak what is good? He's talking to the religious leaders here. He's saying the same thing he just preached in his message a few chapters earlier that we're talking about right now. We'll get to all of this. But he's saying the same thing. How can you, being evil, he's calling them out, speak what's good? It's not possible. Your hearts are evil. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what's good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what's evil. But I tell you that every careless word that, they, that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And some people would say, my pastor or my teachers never taught me that there's a judgment or there's a condemnation. Or they'll say, oh, that was old stuff, and we don't believe in that anymore. God is a God of love, and everything's changed now. But that's not right. And the Lord himself, these are from Jesus himself, the very God who came to rescue the lost. Who's the lost? We are. Is the God who says, listen, there's only one way to the kingdom. It's a narrow road. And those who don't make it will be judged. They'll be condemned to a life of eternal damnation. See, the problem is the false teacher wants to preach a God who everybody will love. They just won't preach the God of the Bible. And there's a big difference. It's a big difference. Now, just to be clear, it doesn't mean that every true teacher is going to get everything right. I'm certainly that way. You know that. You know my fallacies. But the difference is the true teacher will always go back to the source, right? The true teacher doesn't just go to somebody else's thought and just, not that that's not important. Commentaries in people's words are greatly important. I reiterate that lots of times. And I'm going to give you some commentary thoughts here in just a couple minutes. But the reality is the true teacher who is called by God will go back and say, let's check what God said. Let's be clear about what God says. And if God says it, then that's what we're going to stick with. Here's a commentary. In fact, John MacArthur says, False prophets talk much about the love of God, but nothing of his holiness. Much about people who are deprived, but nothing about those who are depraved. Much about God's universal fatherhood of every human being, but nothing about his unique fatherhood only of those who are his children through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Much about what God will give us, but nothing about obedience to him. Much about health and happiness, but nothing about holiness and sacrifice. Their message is a message of gaps, the greatest gap of which leaves out the truth that saves. Beloved, listen, that's the message of the church, which is to save people, right? That's what Christ came to do. He came to rescue people, Colossians 1.13. He came to pull us out of the darkness, to pull us out of the pit of hell, and to give us a place that we can be eternally with him. And so people need to be saved, and that's our job. Our job is to get as many people to heaven as we can. Now, we have no ability to save them, but it's our job to give them the truth so that they can be saved. 
Jesus said in Luke 5, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Well, who are the ones that are sick? Everybody. Except for those people who think they're not sick. People who deny the truth. People who really don't believe they're sinners. But Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know what he's saying? He's saying, there are a lot of people out there who are not going to listen to what I'm saying. But if your heart is open and you see your own heart of desperation and wickedness and sin, I'm here for you. I've come for you. I've come to rescue you. So give your life to me and I'll make all things right spiritually as you walk with me. And so he came to correct wrong thinking. He came to correct wrong doctrine, wrong belief. So people could know the truth and be set free. John chapter 8. All right, so there's the first two tests. Now let's get into some even more hands-on kind of thing. Our third test. You can expose a false teacher by the fruit of their disciples or their followers. Okay? People who are false teachers will have a following. They collect a following. Why? Because of the way that they are. And how is that? Well, because how do we, how do we tell about the false teacher from the follower? That's because the follower becomes just like the one that they're following. And that's very clear in Scripture, even following a good teacher. The followers who are just like the false teacher will be superficial in many ways. They'll not talk about or deny certain things because they just don't want to go there. They're often self-centered, more concerned about what God is going to give to them. And often you can listen to people's teachings and you'll hear more messages about what's going to help you instead of preaching about the glory of God. You see, the message of preaching is not so we have a lot of self-helps in life. Those are there. But that's not the main emphasis of God's Word. The main emphasis of His Word is to show us the glory of Himself. The fact that He is God and He has the ability to be God. And do what he does. And in turn, we look at our lives and we say, oh, woe is me. I'm undone, Isaiah would say. I need you, God. I need you to help me to be holy. I don't just need to know how I'm going to pay my bills. Jesus already said, remember in the sermon, I'll take care of your needs. You don't need to worry about that. What I want from you is your worship. I want your honor. I want you to praise me. But these false teachers will go the shallow route and teach mostly what people just want for their everyday life because people are basically selfish. Just give me what I need and I'll be okay and I'll come back next week to get a little bit more dose of something that I need to make it through the week. And the reality is, the truth is, if we wanted to say it that way, the goal of a false teacher is to not love people with the truth. That's not really the goal, but to deceive them. Again, their message is going to be about them and what's wrong with those who preach a narrow road. What's wrong with those people who have such a narrow view of God? What's wrong? And this is what they'll teach. What, you know, no, God is love. The door is wide open. It doesn't matter. There's nothing really you need to change. God will accept you just like you are. Now listen, there's the deception. That is a true statement. God will take you just like you are, but he will not leave you that way. He will accept you just as you are. Murderer, thief, adulterer, drug addict, alcoholic, doesn't matter. You just come to Jesus. He will take you, but then Jesus is going to start changing you. He's going to remove those things from your life and cause you to start walking with him. 
But the false teacher will say, there's nothing you need to change. You just come and figure out how to make life happen and you just go be fat, dumb, and happy. Let me read an article. Uh, and I know I take the risk at times of being very practical. Or that's not the word. Um, open. Uh, that There are often people who will disagree. Uh, but this is truth and I need to express it. It comes from just last week, actually, in an article from churchleaders.com. Uh, the girl who wrote this is Jessica Lee. And here's the article she wrote. She said, openly queer artists, similar, the stage name of Grace Baldridge, claimed the number one spot on iTunes Christian album chart for two days and counting this week. It's just last week, two weeks ago. Baldridge's newly released Preacher's Kid knocked Lauren Daigle's album Look Up Child from the top of the chart where it had held steady for much of the past two years. A Christian music exec told me to my face, this is the girl talking, that there was no space for a story like mine in the industry, and I want to prove him wrong. Shortly before her album moved to the number one spot on the Christian chart, Christian chart, the artist said she wanted to claim the top spot for anyone who has ever been cast out in the name of God. Preacher Kid, which has a parental advisory for explicit lyrics, had dropped second place, but is now back in the number one spot on iTunes' Christian album chart as of this writing. The album also currently holds the ninth spot in all albums on iTunes and was the fifth-ranked album on that chart at one point. Grace Baldridge wrote Preacher's Kid during quarantine and released it on February 5th this year, again, just a couple days ago. It has risen to the top of the iTunes chart in a few days with no radio play and no assistance from a label. Because Baldridge has achieved this success simply with the help of her followers, some have referred to the phenomenon as game-stopping Christian music. Baldridge has called Preacher's Kid a project about coming out as a queer person of faith, but it could just as easily be described as a raw glimpse into her struggles with doubt as well as a critique of Christian culture. Bethlehem, the first track of Preacher's Kid, plaintively expresses the pain that comes with doubting one's faith. Quote, oh, what, what I'd give for just an inch of your peace, unquote, and describes the brokenness that the artist sees in Christianity. On the missions trips, this is part of the song, on the missions trips are scams they do more harm than good. We've got fame-hungry pastors making bank in Hollywood and more confused than I've been. The artist wonders if she believes in Christianity just because she was raised to and says a savior who can't take her questioning is small. She also voices her pain at Christians who reject her. I'm a child of God, just in case you forgot. And you cast me out every single chance that you got, and that's your loss, not mine. I'm better. I'll be better than fine. You just missed your shot to meet the unholy divine. Now, let me reemphasize. I am not trying to pick on anyone here. I'm just simply helping us to see that in our day today, there is a culture, evidently, who is saying, this is Christian. This is God. And has so affirmed this that they have forced the album to the top of the charts, the Christian charts, as if the church were the problem. Now, the problem with all of this is, and there are other songs that she goes on to talk about, The problem with this is this this person, this woman, and and again, 
God wants to save everyone, right, who he has called, whom he's elect. But this woman is under the misguided spiritual leadership of her own sinful desires, but also under the tutelage of someone. People don't just come up with this on their own. There's somebody in front of her who's feeding this information incorrectly. And you and I know, we discussed this last time in a sermon, that not everyone is a child of God. Let's get that clear. You remember us going through the scripture on that? Every person is a creation of God, but not every person is a child of God. But did you hear that in the lyrics? I'm a child of God. No, not to have that kind of ongoing lifestyle. We'll, show, we'll look at that again in just a minute about what God says that. But really what's happening, let me, let me read the article from, this is January 30th of 2019 from Refinery29. This is the same girl. She says this in this article, I'm a queer person who grew up in a traditional Christian household. Notice the phrasing, traditional Christian household. But I'm lucky enough to have never been shamed by my family for my sexuality. I know now how rare that is. My dad is an Episcopal priest who has been a steadfast supporter of the queer community even before I came out. Red flag. Do you see that? I never faced rejection on the basis of religion and my queer identity was never in conflict with my belief in God. That is until I got engaged. And I don't know exactly what she's talking about there. So the red flag for me was, okay, dad, you're an Episcopal priest. Where's the truth of God? that's being built into your child, you see? And so what happens is this perpetuates. And so as a teacher now, without even being called a teacher, she's become a teacher by helping people younger in category believe that this is okay, that God will accept anybody. And he does, but he won't leave you there, right? Are we clear about that? God is about changing the heart. He will take us where we are but he wants our hearts changed. And so again, the point is, this is often the result of a false teacher. The church is the wrong one. The church is the wrong one. The Bible is wrongly interpreted and everybody needs to change for me. You need to fix the problem so I'm accepted. But Paul said it this way, 2 Thessalonians 2, they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Now, he's talking about anybody who's unsaved there, okay? Not just particularly this category. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Did you hear what he says here? They did not love the truth. And here's the deal. God says that when you continually reject the truth that I'm telling you, I will send upon you a deluding influence so that you won't be able to believe the truth anymore. It is possible, the Lord, I'm saying this with my own words, God is saying, if you continually reject what God says is truth, you will evidently get to the place where God will say, okay, live in that lie. I'm going to close your mind off so that you will not receive the truth unless you repent. Unless you repent. And everybody has the opportunity to repent. Okay? Now, conversely, true teachers love the truth. And they'll speak the truth. They'll teach the truth even when it hurts. It hurts to teach things that people are so strongly in favor of, especially in our culture today. Especially as this particular subject is growing like it is. 
But Jesus said to Pilate when he stood on the steps there, I have come to bear evidence of the truth. Look at John 18, 37. To testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Meaning, false teachers will gain a following from people who make Jesus someone he is not. They will turn Jesus into a different Jesus. And they will call him Jesus when he is not that Jesus. There's a difference between the God that the people say and the God of the Bible. We want to know the God of the Bible. And so again, let me be really, really clear here. I'm not saying that God cannot rescue gay people, okay? I just feel like I have to keep reiterating this point. God can and God will. I've known people in my life, numerous people in my life, who saw their life and where it was going, and God gloriously rescued them. And now there's some of the greatest champions for Christ that there are. I know a man right now who lived in a gay relationship for years. And God rescued him. And now he serves the Lord as a missionary. And so God is in the business of changing people's hearts. But he is in the business of changing. And he will do that work. He does not want people to live in their sin. Which is exactly what Paul said. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know? That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, who are the unrighteous, Paul? Everybody, right? We are the unrighteous. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we could go down the Romans road and look at the verses that God says, but I've demonstrated my love to you. While you're still a sinner, Christ died for you. If you'll believe in my son, confess him as Lord of your life, and believe that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Who? Everybody that he has called. And so Paul continues in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 6. So do not be deceived. Here's the warning. Jesus is saying the same thing. Beware. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, But not just the sensual people. Listen to the other category. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love this. Here's the glory in the gospel. Look at verse 11. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. That was you. That was my friend I was just talking about. That was you. You were one of these people. And I don't believe that this is an all-inclusive list here. Paul is just simply saying, look, the evil heart knows only one thing. It is to do evil and to be evil. And God will not accept that into his kingdom. It must be purified. And God did that for you. Notice he says, you were washed. You were sanctified. That word means set apart. You were called out of that life of sin. You were justified. That's a legal declaration. That's a legal word. You were declared legally righteous in the name of God. And in the spirit of our God. But here's what I want you to see. Our community, our culture will say, oh no, God will accept me. I don't have to change anything in my life. If I want to be gay, I'll be gay. If I want to be this or that, I'll be that. But listen to what he says. The past tense of verse 11. Such were some of you. He didn't say some are of you. Some were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. There's no approval by God for staying in the sin. There's no approval there. God will not accept your sin and expect you to just waltz into the kingdom. You must come his way. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. Through me. 
through my death, my sacrifice. And then you'll be made righteous, but you can't stay in that life. Which is why, again, Jesus says, go back to Matthew 7, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Okay? There you go. The Lord is very clear. Now, just to finish all of this up, let's finish our final point here. What are we to do about false teachers? What do we do? What do we do about them? Well, the obvious is you stay away from them. And that's Romans 16. Paul says to the church as he's closing out this foundational doctrinal letter, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary, listen, to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them, right? Just don't go there. Just get, stay away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Wow. Smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting, the ones who are not on guard, the ones who are not aware. Okay, so secondly, examine your heart. What do I do with a false teacher? Well, I stay away from them, but the second thing is I examine my heart. Remember the Lord says, be careful how we judge. Always look at your heart first. Get the log out of your own eye. Then you can remove the splinter out of your neighbor's eye. Jesus has just preached that. And then pray for wisdom, thirdly. In other words, seek God in His truth so you can know how to formulate your thoughts and your timing as to what to say, when not to go, when to go, what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say. Pray, 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 pray for wisdom, James says. Number four, ask some questions. Ask some questions before you start calling out names, which is how serious is the error here? I mean, some are a little bigger than others, but how serious are we talking about? Is the error, uh, is the error or the lie, is it growing among the people? In other words, is this something that's spreading and causing a problem? Or is it just something that people are deceived on personally? Uh, is this a one-time thing? Or is this a constant issue? Is this going to help people who are vulnerable? If I go to them, or is it going to just cause a bigger problem for them? In other words, you know, Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine. If they're just not going to hear. So these are just questions to ask. Uh, then the final question would be, are you just causing more problems? Are you really trying to fix the problem? In other words, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people say a lot of stuff on social media. Uh, in fact, people say stuff on social media that they would never say to somebody's face. I'm convinced of that. And a lot of times it's just a sling mud. It's just trying to create a problem. And we got a lot of examples of that. Just open your eyes and you'll see that. So the question is, am I trying to fix the problem here or am I just mad and I'm throwing mud? And then fifthly and finally, I think we could say you got to call them out. And here's the deal. You and I, you can't avoid someone if you don't know who they are, Right? You can't avoid somebody if you don't know who they are. So there comes a point where you have to call them out. This is why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all. Now he's talking about leaders in the church here specifically. So that the rest will also be fearful of sinning. 
In other words, if you've got a leader among you and he's doing stuff that's contrary to the word of the Lord, you rebuke them publicly so that the rest of the people know, hey, this ain't right. We got to walk God's way. But of course, always loving, kind, gracious, merciful, so that those people who are falling away or those who are in the wrong path or on the wide road will be brought back into the, wide, into the narrow road, which is what Jude says in Jude 22. Have mercy on some. And you remember Jude is all about false teachers who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. For what reason, Jude? So that it'll be stopped. So that the falseness will be stopped and the evil will not spread. John Piper said of this subject, we are to do mouth judgment, writing judgment, behavior judgment, but not heart judgment. I appreciated that statement because you and I can't see the heart like God can see it. That's God's job. But we are to be open with what we see. And so he goes on to say, when a mouth speaks unbiblical, destructive teaching, when a blog or an article or a book publishes unbiblical and destructive teaching, when a body, a human body, a physical body, behaves with unbiblical and destructive behavior, in all these cases, we are to be discerning and expose the error. And I would even add, when there's a tweet, when there's some social media post that you're part of, or somebody preaches some unholy doctrine, we are to expose that and we are to call them out on that. I would encourage that to be privately between you and that person and do it lovingly and graciously. Give to them the word of the Lord, not your opinion, unless you state it as your opinion. And so God says through Paul in Ephesians 5, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Expose them. This is the hard part that we always face. Our culture is so sensitive. Nobody can do anything anymore without being ridiculed, called out for what they say. But the Lord says, no, don't participate in the darkness. Expose the darkness. Shine the light of God's truth on the darkness. That word expose means to reprove, to convict, to admonish them. It means bring them to the surface. Bring it all to the surface. You know, sin wants to stay in the dark. God wants it to be exposed in the light of his glory. And when it's exposed in the light of his glory, it has to flee, right? Or the person's got to do something with it. Again, never with an unholiness in our hearts, never with anger or grudge or some unholy frustration. And believe me, I understand with social media, especially it's easy to get so frustrated. You just want to find yourself saying, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to. Well, you got to tame that and make sure that it's truly of the Lord and the Lord is speaking it, not you, not some personal retaliation because somebody's come against you or your way of thinking or thinking you got it all figured out, but with great humility, remembering, as Paul said, some were, such were some of you. You were there. That was you. God called you out. So you have mercy. We're not to be the sin police, right? We don't go uncover sin. Everywhere we can find it. Up, oh, sin right there. Up, oh, sin right there. Up, oh, sin right there. No, we're to expose what's there and we can see in all the things that we're talking about, okay? 
And that's basically anybody teaching a doctrine contrary to what the Bible teaches, whether it's men or women. And beloved, listen, there are those that are there. there any group, I would say, or denomination. And I, I'm just going to give you right now some names of people that I personally, scripturally feel you should be cautious of. Okay? Just a warning. You let God tell you what is best. I'm just giving you what I think. This is my opinion here, but I think I'm right, but you discern between you and the Lord. There are some denominations that will promote uh, a salvation beyond what Scripture says, adding to salvation. Uh, there are some who put some things more important than others, like there are, there's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It promotes Saturday even above other things that are holy beyond the Lord, and I know that from personal experience. Uh, even the Church of God at times will promote that baptism is essential for salvation. It's not what the Scripture teaches. The Pentecostalism, referring to the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. There are those who teach, and I know there are different waves of Pentecostalism, but there are those who teach that unless you've been filled with the Holy Spirit a second time, you're not really born again. And you can search all this out on your own. Uh, the salvation through anyone other than Jesus alone, of course, that would be the Catholic Church predominantly, that you can get to heaven through Mary. Then there are the, there are the obvious ones, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, and, uh, and it's really all because of what they do with Jesus or what they don't do with Jesus, how they deny him, that he's the only way to the Father. And some of those are just the obvious ones. And then there are other groups like those who profess a oneness doctrine, this at one time and not any longer, from what I understand, was T.D. Jakes, who believed that there was no trinity. And, and you can watch this, you can see it, but he's changed his view on that now. As a result of studying scripture, imagine that. And so we're patient with that kind of thing. Praise the Lord, right? That's what we want. Yes, brother, come to the truth and confess that. And there's some great things out there about all that. Then there are those, let's even get a little more personal and a little harder to deal with, those who usurp the authority in the church, such as women who believe that they can take on the headship role in the church leadership. And God has made that clear that that's not the case in 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15. It's not that a woman doesn't have great value and great abilities. And quite honestly, there are some women who probably could lead far better than men and probably could easily outlead me. But the issue is a role distinction. But there are those who preach that that's not a big deal anymore. And that would be people like the Paula Whites. And some even who have struggled with the Beth Moores. Okay, now again, you have to do your own studies on this. I'm just telling you, just be wise. That's all I'm saying. Just be wise. There's some people who deny the authority of Scripture, like those who are to be qualified as an elder or pastor or teacher from the text that I talked about earlier from 1 Timothy and Titus. That would be people like the Stephen Furtick's of Elevation Church. You have to be very, very cautious in his book, Unqualified. He talked about all about his feelings of inadequacy, uh, of being a pastor. I understand that. All of us who are in ministry understand that. None of us are adequate to be pastors, but that's not the issue. God has said, I'm not qualifying you based on what you feel about yourself. I'm qualifying you based on what my word says. You see, I could easily disqualify myself and many times have tried to disqualify myself and say, like Moses, God, you got the wrong guy. Moses tried that. 
And God says, no, Moses, I know what I'm doing. This is what I want. And so we have to be careful about these things. What I am saying is that be cautious of anyone who makes the Bible about man or man-centered. This is what I was talking about earlier. We try to, I know we're going long here. Just try to be patient here because I think this is so important. God is not so concerned about us being feeling-centered. Now, understand, God is a feeling God. He gave us emotions. They're critical for us, and God uses them in our lives. But He is not a God who just wants to promote feelings in us or help us to make sense out of things based on how we feel. No, He goes to the Word. He, he wants us to go to the Word to make our decisions and our just judgments. The Bible is about God. Beloved, it's not about us. We're not coming every Sunday to just get the next self-help lesson. That's important, and God will give it to us. But really, God is elevating himself. He's saying, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That's why Jesus was lifted up on the cross. In the wilderness, Moses said, look to the serpent as a picture of Christ coming, and you'll be healed. Look at God. He's the, poor, he's the one we're looking to. Because if you make the Bible about man, you'll look at everything in the Bible to make yourself feel better. It'll all be about you instead about God. And your tendency would be to water down what God says. That's people like Joel Osteen. Just make it feel good. I'm not going to ever say anything against sin because if I do, people will not come back. Or the people who change their doctrinal position like the Joshua Harris's. They wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, many years ago and apologized to the gay community. And then, and this is going to, if you're not mad at me yet, you will be. I don't know if you saw this, but just this month, and I'm not judging, I'm just telling you to be careful, okay? Max Licato just recently spoke at the Washington National Cathedral. If you've ever been there, it's a beautiful place, gorgeous place. And his subject was on the Holy Spirit. But did you know, if you, saw, if you heard about that, did you know that there were about 1,500 people who didn't want him to come? And the reason was is because he spoke out against the wrongness of the gay community. The problem was his audience at the Washington National Cathedral is all about the gay community. I'm talking about just as they are. Listen to this. This is off of their website. Quote, a longtime supporter of the full inclusion of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in the life of the church. Underscore that. The life of the church. Red flag. The, Catholic, the cathedral considers LGBTQ equality one of the great civil rights issues of the church in the 21st century. Unquote. But God is not let, God is not let someone live in their sin and be a part of life in the church. People need the church who are sinners. That's all of us. But we're to be getting out of our sin. Let me read that again. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, my key to this was the fact that the church itself, in their own stance, is saying we accept everybody into the life of the church. In other words... You can be a part of the church no matter who you are, who you profess to be. And so they didn't want Max Licato coming. Again, the second time. All right, let me read to you just the letter that he 
said after he was there and preached, this is uh, just a couple weeks ago, Dear Cathedral Community, it was a high honor to serve as your guest preacher on February 7th, 2021. It has come to my understanding that my presence in the cathedral is a cause of consternation for many of your members. I was invited to Washington National Cathedral to preach on the topic of the Holy Spirit. My desire was to highlight the power of the Spirit to bring comfort in these chaotic times. However, instead of that sermon, many only heard my words from many years ago. In 2004, I preached a sermon on the topic of same-sex marriage. I now see, and this is the part I just want you to listen to, okay? You discern, but you listen. In that sermon, I was disrespectful. I was hurtful. I wounded people in ways that were devastating. I should have done better. It grieves me that my words have hurt or been used to hurt the LGBTQ community. I apologize to you and ask forgiveness of Christ. Faithfully, excuse me, faithful people may disagree about what the Bible says about homosexuality, but we agree that God's holy word must never be used as a weapon to wound others. To be clear, I believe in the traditional biblical understanding of marriage, but I also believe in a God who, of unbounded grace and love, the LGBTQ individuals and LGBTQ families must be respected and treated with love. They are beloved children of God because they are made in the image and likeness of God. Over centuries, the church has harmed LGBTQ people and their families, just as the church has harmed people on issues of race, gender, divorce, addiction, and so many other things. We must do better to serve and love one another. I share the cathedral's commitment to building bridges and learning how to listen, to really listen to those whom we disagree. That work is difficult, it is hard, it is messy, and it can be uncomfortable, but we need now more than ever. Now, you may be hearing that with different ears than I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is what Joshua Harris said to the LGBTQ community some years ago, which was, the church needs to apologize for its stance against the wrongness of being gay. Folks, that is not in the scripture. Now, to be hurtful to anyone is wrong. I'll agree with him all the way home with that. But to apologize for what God has said is wrong. I cannot stand here in front of you this morning and apologize to you because this is God's word. God is saying, listen, I love you. I demonstrated my love for you when I came and died for you on the cross, but I will not accept your sin into my kingdom. It must be paid for. And the church doesn't need to apologize for that. We don't need to apologize. Now, what I'm saying is, I don't know Max Licato's heart. I'm just simply saying, just be wise. People change. People change their position. They change their stance. And that happens when you get away from the truth of God's word. That's when it happens. Okay? We have to be careful. So Jesus says, beware. Many will come. And they're going to sound good. They're going to sound right. They're going to sound like everything you hope anybody would ever sound like from God. But you have to measure what everybody says against what God has said. This is the standard. Not Bruce Goldsmith. Not Max Licato. Not anybody else. This is the standard. 
You must get into the Word so that you know how to discern the truth from error. Because if you don't, you will follow people who will lead you down the wrong path. Right? You say, oh, that'll never be me. And some of you might be saying, you know, okay, here we go again. The church is just bashing. You're doing the exact same thing that young girl was saying. Now, I'm not trying to bash anybody. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. You may be even saying, but, but, but some of those people have helped me so much. I've gained such great insight into the things of God through these people. Awesome. God can use anybody. God made a donkey talk. I'm not calling people donkeys, okay? So don't <laughs> equate those two. I'm just saying God can make the axe head float, right? He can part the water. He can walk on the water. He can get the fish on this side of the boat or that side of the boat. Nothing is impossible with God. God can use the unholy works of Satan for his purposes, even in your life, for his glory. That's what Joseph said to his brothers, right? You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So praise the Lord God used these people. Just be wise. That's all I'm saying. Just be wise. And I can't help you be wise in our current culture if I don't mention who these are. That at least have a flag that you just got to pay attention to, okay? I've told you many times before, don't you dare take my word for anything. You go to the scripture and you examine what God says and let him tell you, okay? All right, now, let's finish with this and we're done. You may be sitting here this morning, you may be listening to me on the thing if you haven't turned this off by now, saying, well, there's no hope for me. And I just want to tell you that based on the authority of God's word, there is hope. That Jesus is really, really good at fixing what's broken. He's really good at rescuing what seems to be unable to be rescued. But you have to come his way. And that means you confess your sin and you turn from it. What does that mean? The word literally means, repent means to go the other direction, but it's not just physically. It means to, in mind and heart and soul and will, you turn and you go another direction, which means you follow God. And he'll take you just like you are, absolutely. You can be strung out on the highest drug you've ever had, even right this moment, and God will take you. But he won't leave you there. He'll clean you up. He'll make you his child. And he'll give you his clothes to wear into the kingdom, okay? There's always hope. Just be careful who you're listening to because there are many, many deceivers. All right, well, let's pray. Father, very challenging truths. I can only imagine on that hillside on that day in Palestine when you spoke these words as the very leaders of the nation were around as they had been lifted up as the ones to emulate and as the only ones who knew the real truth. The Lord, how deceived they were. Souls that had been manipulated by Satan and brought into the earth to lead people away into eternal destruction. Lord, would it be, please, Father, that you would just help people to turn to you for truth. Lord, my words are not truth. I have no ability. But you said your word is truth. And your word 
brings light to the soul. And so, Lord, we pray that if there are those who are caught in sin and darkness even right now and are living that life consistently, perpetually, Lord, would you just rescue them? We know we all sin. Every one of us, each and every day we all sin, but we also know we have a Savior who washes us when we confess. And so, Lord, do your work, we pray always. Lord, I'm so thankful that you know every hair on the head of every person. You know everything about them. You know everywhere they are, even at this moment. And I pray that you would rescue them. Help them to see, Lord. Call your elect to you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Y'all stand, please. There is Lord Father, just thank you so much for your truth that you've given to us. Thank you for your word that we can always look to to see what you said and what you mean. So, Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. Lord, just help us to share that love with all of those around us in your son's